fifth episode of mtg fast finance the podcast that welcomes the new year with a resolution to keep your decks shiny and your wallets full mtg fast finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of magic the gathering finance collection management and speculation i'm your host james chilcott aka at mtg critic on twitter my co-host this week as always is travis allen at wizard bumpin on twitter and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game magic the gathering Good evening, James. Good evening, everyone. Glad to be here and looking forward to sharing all sorts of valuable information. Our show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to plan your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Travis, what is on our agenda for the first cast of 2022? Well, I figured we would start this week with segment 1, our MTGO Metagame Week in Review. Uh, with a modern and pioneer event to chat about here. We haven't talked about pioneer in a while, but I see some of these names look familiar. Uh, segment two, our top paper movers, where we'll run through the cards that have moved the most in price this week. Uh, a shorter list this week, and also rather one note, honestly, uh, and as well as the top MTGO movers. Then there is segment three, our cards to watch. James and I have got a couple cards worth keeping an eye on in the future. And finally, segment four, topic of the week, do you believe in the stars? Because there's an astrology secret layer that is a departure from their norm, uh, their normal format for secret layers. But we'll get there in a minute. Let's start out here. Our modern challenge from January 2nd, just a couple days ago. Uh, we've got a Grixis Death Shadow coming in first and a Living End in second. So the Grixis Death Shadow is, you know, Death Shadow. We're familiar with this deck at this point. Uh, and it doesn't look like the Living End deck is terribly interesting either. Where it gets interesting is uh, entry number three here, which is a grinding station deck. And it feels like it has been a little while since I have seen this card in Modern. It's not just a grinding station deck. This is like this weird amalgam of aggro and combo elements, right? Because you have 13 creatures, Dragon's Rage Channeler and four four DRCs and four Ragavan is the start of many an aggro list in this format. But then there are alongside four Emery Lurker of the Lock, a card whose future and modern has never been assured. It just kind of like fades in and out of the meta as temporarily busted things pop up and then fade back into into the fringes um and then a thassa's oracle uh to get that win online four, three expressive iteration for some card selection four unholy heat to deal with some early threats usually opposing drcs and ragavans from the other side of the board and then 17 artifacts including the four aforementioned four grinding station an ether spell bomb a brainstone uh that's another mh2 card to top eight uh, four Mistress Bobble, four Mox Amber, a Pithing Needle, a Shadow Spear, a Spring Leaf Drum, and four Underworld Breach. This is yeah. quite the brew. Four Urza Saga in the land mix as well. They have a plan, or rather, they have several plans uh, to do several things. You, you know, Some of them, they, they do all sorts of stuff here. That's my take. <laughs> there's, there's a lot going on here. It's... Uh, I don't remember exactly what the loop is. I know you measure you grinding station your Mox Amber's array what right away, right in your underworld breach is your way that you recur them and you generate a bunch of mana with it. Emery also recurs artifacts because she can tap to choose target artifact card in your graveyard and let you cast it this turn. So she's basically breaches five through eight. There's also a lot of, some cute little interactions here because Ragavan makes treasure tokens, right? Mm-hmm. And then Grinding Station says whenever an artifact comes into play, you can untap Grinding Station. So just hitting with a Ragavan can give you a Grinding Station uh, iteration. What is the point of this? 
So generally, I feel bad doing this on cast. Oh, it's it's gotta be the Thassa's Oracle, right? That's the that's why you go through this. Yeah, you go, you get get rid of your whole deck, and then Oracle wins the game. Yeah. So and then you, sorry to our listeners that have to listen to this. You Grindization targeting yourself because you mill three, which is what pays for the Underworld breach tax, the escape cost, and then you keep doing. Mishers, or you keep doing Mox Ambers, and because they're legendary, you're sacking one, so there's always one in your graveyard, so you just mill your whole deck. Oh, now, I haven't run through that completely in my head, but that sounds roughly where you need to be. But, I mean, then you get to keep the pressure on with Dragon Rage, Chandler, and Ragavan. I like this. I mean, this is an interesting deck. I don't know if this is the right deck, but this is the type of stuff that tends to do very well in Modern, where you have a very uh, aggressive, capable strategy that then mixes in just a little bit of combo just enough to force your opponent to have to overextend um or or to really you're putting them on the back foot by playing very aggressively with cards like ragavan and dragon rays channeler uh and while they're trying to steady that you just slam grinding station in the underworld breach and suddenly they lose the game to the combo because they were digging for answers to ragavan saga also gives you station triggers in a pinch because those saga on your first and second turns with saga you can tap it to make constructs which is going to trigger the grinding station and get six more cards in the yard and then on the third go with saga you are going to go you might make a token and go get uh a one casting cost artifact right yeah potentially that sounds the, correct potentially in the same turn if you have two sagas on the board um, so you could be getting nine just off the, that series of interactions. There's, there's a lot going on here and, uh, I continue to be impressed with the, uh, innovation that's coming out of this very powerful format where you have to address a very broad meta to get in the door. Um, I, attacking with dragon rage channeler and ragavan with the backup plan of just killing them with the combo is, uh, it's good stuff. That's, but, that's a solid. That's a solid way to deal with it with a undefined format, or at least a, a wide format. It's also got like it's elements of fatal push in mill. Like I think this deck has kind of feels to me that it plays out a lot like blue black mill does in the sense that they tend to run the four fatal push instead of the four unholy heat, just so they have some answers. But the nice thing here is that in mill, your crabs can block but can't really get rid of threats on the opposing side. Whereas in this deck, the DRCs can become f- flying 3-3s three their, of their own accord and then block the other person's DRCs and act as supplemental creature removal and ditto your Ragavans, right? And mm-hmm. if, if you get, you know, if, they're will- if they want to come in with a Ragavan, you can block with your Ragavan and just keep moving towards your combo instead of worrying about getting in with your own. Um, so yeah, it's a cool deck. Um, and the next one's not any less so. Uh, the next one is Blue-White Urza. And we don't mean urza saga although there are four of those in here we're talking about urza lord high artificer so top top points here for thematic wins this is a a blue white control deck that has four urza and four teferi and and urza saga so you're getting pretty high on the on the flavor points here uh this gets top marks for activating a bunch of picks of ours that (laughs) stalled out and we would love to see come back uh, for Solitude, for Stoneforge Mystic. So there's a Stoneforge Mystic package in here that can go get in the main Caldra Complete, Shadow Spear, uh, and I guess that's it in the main out of the board. Nothing additional? No swords or anything in the board? That's an odd Stoneforge package. I guess he's got a plan. And Oh, he, I, see. Uh... I see what it is. Sword of the Meek is an equipment. I missed that completely. So they've got Thopter Foundry Sword of the Meat combo built into this. They're using four Prismatic Ending, one of the default kill spells in the format, four Counterspell, three Metallic Rebuke to leverage all the artifacts, getting you some cheap Counterspell action, three Whir of Invention to facilitate a toolbox scenario where you can go get an Ether Spell Bomb, you can go get Chalice, Chalice of the Void, you can go get Engineered Explosives, you can get the Caldra Complete, Portable Hole is in here. Soul Guide Lantern to do some graveyard damage. This is uh, another tight little package that looks pretty fun. And of course, this is a 80-card deck with Yorion as the companion. So, a lot going on. 
That, yeah, I feel like we saw stuff similar to this back when the first Modern Horizons came out. A lot of these, I think, were was was there one was, of the lists there that was came out Urza Emery decks back then. Yeah. So this yeah. is since then they've gotten to add solitudes and prismatic endings and counter spells. Um. So some pretty nice additions overall. That would be really good if uh, your opponents didn't just get to add Ragman. I have to wonder if this deck would be close to top tier were it not for that aspect. Well, I mean, Counterspell, Prismatic Ending, and Solitude all do a pretty good job with Ragavan. And the the thing is that Urza Lord High Artificer is a 1-4 for 4, and you get a construct right off the bat. And the construct has the same text as the ones that come off the Urza Sagas that are in the deck. <clears throat> so you could end up with 3-4-5 uh, construct tokens at some point here. And they're going to be nice and big. Like five constructs is, is potentially five ten tens or something with all the other artifacts in this deck. Because uh, they get plus one plus one for each artifact you control. And they're also running some of the artifact lands from indestructible artifact lands from MH2. They got a Razor Tide Bridge in the land base in the main. Um, so pretty cute overall. It's uh it's a solid list doing some strong stuff. Um it's nice to see something that's not just playing Dragon Raids Channeler or Ragavan or activating a combo. I mean Charbelcher was just as impressive when we first saw it four to six weeks ago. Uh and here it is just you know, now it's already lost its luster as a hot new thing. Or a, I guess a, a redux, as it were. But Charbelcher finished fifth in this top eight. Then four color Omnath was in sixth and eighth, and Grixis Death Shadow was in seventh, as well as winning that tournament. Uh, so I figured we would take a look at the Pioneer Premier event that was this weekend, because it's just because you know this Pioneer is probably not get, getting played a whole lot uh, out in the world right now, given that COVID is. <laughs> insanely dangerous again and in-person play is not is definitely ill-advised uh star city games was out running a survey over the holidays asking if people were interested in pioneer events um if they got uh, some uh seg con stops going in the spring and summer you know we'll have to wait and see if that's actually going to come together given how things are going right now but it, as a side note here before we get too much further on um interesting to see that both Patrick and Cedric have left Star City. Which which makes sense. I mean, there's no coverage in the foreseeable future. Those roles don't don't ex- have any reason to exist. They would have been keeping them kind of in the wings, probably with some kind of part-time agreement or something, just to make sure they didn't lose the talent. But if you get this far down the road and you still can't sufficiently you know, confidently relaunch the SCG tour. You've just got to start letting those staff go. It makes perfect sense. You know, I don't know if it's quite that clear cut um, because Cedric, you know, his full-time job was essentially, or, you know, one of his full-time jobs was this content, you know, the content manager or whatever for Star City. Well, and that was a that was a nine to five for him, I think. I, I'm not sure if it was or it wasn't. We'd have to ask Cedric. But the, the fact that I, the title was actually content coordinator leads me to believe it was it was not being paid at the level of an, a full-time editor. He So I read his little blog post there where he said he was leaving, and the language he used when he described it was that it was, he was more than, I think he said more than fairly compensated or something like that for the job. So, I mean, I got the impression he was paying his, his mortgage and his car with that payment. Um and, you know, he probably totally serviceable in in the various roles he did for Star City, even independent of the casting. So you can. So th- this is me going out on a limb. I'm reading between the lines. It seemed like Cedric was taking home a fine paycheck, even without the casting component of this. Then. You have the fact that the Star City conventions were announced for this year, right? Like we had nothing in 2021, and I don't think they had anything in 2020. So that brings 2022 along. We have six on the calendar. So, you know. Yeah, yeah, but they're not Star City Tour events. They're, well, it's SCG well, Con. They're, they're looking to do a much more casual focused thing. Right, right. Hold on. Let me get, let me get, let me get where I'm going here. 
We had no Star City events for two years. They've announced a return of some of them this year. So if Star City wanted to keep them, truly wanted to keep them, it gets better from here out if that's what Star City wants. So I don't I don't look at this as a matter of like Cedric and Solid Patrick got tired of sitting around waiting for Star City to do something. I think Star City put the events on the calendar and Cedric and Pat were like, so are we, you know, it's a, however this conversation occurred, Cedric and Pat said, so are we casting these? And Star City said, that's not what we're doing anymore. And so they left because it was clear that even with the return of these events, it wasn't the type of thing that they were going to be doing, which I just find fascinating because Star City had them on the hook and they were, seems to be a pretty strong consensus that they were, are one of the best pairs in the game for casting. I mean, they have put more hours on that than I think anyone else and they got good at it. Um, So interesting to me that Star City would take what was arguably, arguably their key brand component like the key their key content right the best content star city created was putting cedric and patrick at a desk talking about a magic tournament and they let it go intentionally see i i don't see the confusion there's there's no way to run those tournaments and those are those stat it's like what's the confusion (laughs) you can't it's like it's like if you hire the best santa every every year at your giant mall for christmas and then you can't put kids on santa's lap anymore you get rid of santa the confusion being that like Star City put tournaments on the calendar. Yes, and... but you keep saying tournaments without without qualifying. They're not the same tournaments. They're completely right, but different. they cho- they they chose to do that. Yeah, but they, they have they to have... because you can't. There's no there's no competitive scene. They need wizards to actually back competitive play for them to run the SCG tour. If they don't, then there's no grinders that are going to care about joining their tour. And and it's also not safe to commit to the to a year long sequence, which is not what they've done. They, well, SCG Tour used to be every Saturday. This right. What they've got on the schedule is like a tentative maybe six events. That's not the same thing at all. No, it's it's not the same thing. I'm, I'm saying that Star City had the option here to move in a direction. And they said, nope, we're going the other way. Um, and I think that if they were really serious about keeping Pat and Cedric, they, they would have tried to make some accommodation um, and maybe they did somewhat, but clearly it wasn't enough. But I have to believe that Cedric and Pat would have wouldn't have required a lot to stick around and kind uh, of wait in the wings because they're not dumb, right? They know that Star City can't really commit to a full tournament schedule right now. They're not holding them responsible for that. They just needed to know that that was going to come down the road. And it sounds like Star City just flat out said that's that's never coming back at least not in any fashion that we can see right now. So, like, if that's what you're waiting for, then we can't help you. Hey, we're, there's a lot of guesswork in there. We'd have to ask Cedric directly. Maybe we can get a, get a like, magic business owner's roundtable going in, in the next month or so, with, like, original Magic Art and Cedric for Coalesce and some others, and maybe we'll, we'll I, probe a little I, deeper. I do think that Cedric and Pat are the, are essentially the two best names at Star City. They make they have made great content for Star City, and uh, it's just it's just interesting to see them leave. Sure, that Star City would let them go because it'd be it'd be like you and I leaving Fast Finance and us getting replaced, basically. See, I don't see that that way at all. I mean, the we are core content to Pro Trader because our cast is about the the. The exact same things that the entire program is. We don't have a casual component um, to our business. Whereas Ben Blyweiss has said multiple times on Twitter as the most uh, social media savvy and vocal member of the senior SEG team, um, because the owner is basically AWOL on that front. Um, uh, Pete Hoffling, I believe his name is. Yeah, Pete Hoffling, yep. The, uh, I mean, Ben said all year. That like every time somebody says, oh, magic's dying, blah, blah, blah. Look, this is like signals of the end. Ben always chimes in with, what are you talking about? We're like, it's been gangbusters business all year. It's just casual business. And surprise, casual was always the the, the like cornerstone of magic sales. So yeah, we're not selling a lot of like four ofs of standard signals, but their business is doing very well. So this is, to me, this is just the normal shifts that we've seen across the entire industry towards casual and commander 
in an era where it's not safe for anybody to commit to competitive. And even before COVID was on the scene, Wizards was already pulling back. So that combination of factors leads us to exactly where we are. Um, right. There, there's a lot here. Um, we don't have to draw on it. And I think, I think there's, I'm not disagreeing with, with what you've said uh, entirely. It's just, um, I don't know, just fascinating. A bit of an end of an era for a lot of players, I think. Yeah. I mean, true. But I mean, CFB had basically torn down a lot of their coverage team months and months ago, right? Like Corbin lost all that revenue stream from going to all of their events. Um, and there's lots of people that are on the sidelines waiting for something to come back together. And I think a lot of people were probably hoping that it was going to be by now. And the reality is, we I would guess we're looking at at least another year of this COVID nonsense at this point. Yeah, I mean, you're you're right that we've seen the sort of the dismantling of various competitive scenes and the broadcasting of them across the board. I, you know, I would make the point that Pat and Cedric were the the I'm going to say the pinnacle, the the most recognizable and consistent broadcasting pair. Like if Star City lets them go, then you really know there's nothing else going on. Um, I feel like that was the holdout essentially. The thing is, like you have to look at it from a ten thousand foot view too. If we're talking about magic personalities, it's people like Post Malone and the Professor, and the guy Ugh. and the folks over at Command Zone that are that are the faces of this brand. It's not the people that were getting 3000 viewers on a Saturday afternoon on the SGG tour at their peak. It's, it's the people that get a hundred thousand views per video. Well, I mean, I can't argue that, um, you know, those videos, the command zone videos and post Malone and all that good stuff that certainly gets more views, I think than the star city tour ever did. Um, so I'm, I can't say I'm surprised. I, I, that's certainly true. Um, so who knows? Maybe we see something come out of Star City where they really try and set up a bigger budget, casual scene, casual broadcast scene type of deal, um, and try and replicate Command Zone. I could see them having like a cut, like a small, small cover, roving coverage team on the floor, just covering SCG Con if they manage to safely pull it off, and just you know showing stuff going on, talking to artists that are signing stuff, look, talking to the cosplayers, uh, a little bit about people that are winning whatever the biggest tournament on the floor is, looking at people's draft decks, whatever. Checking in with some pros that are hanging out, that kind of thing. Yeah, they'll just hand uh, the Star City convention Twitter handle to one of the guys responsible for setting crap up and be like, okay, after you plug everything in, go walk around <laughs> and see what's going on. <laughs> Wow, I mean, they can do better than that pretty easily just by grabbing somebody with a strong social media following. Anyway, they, they can, will they? Anyway, alrighty, let's move on over to this Pioneer premiere from January second. This format is looking very combo tastic. We've got a Jeskai Ascendancy combo deck in first place. Um, we've got Fires of Invention with four Transmogrify going to get Agents of Treachery and four four Fires of Invention. In second place, we got Lotus Field combo in third. We got another Jeskai Ascendancy deck in fourth, this time with Omnath uh, at the top end of a curve. And Arclight Phoenix in fifth. Lotus Field combo again in sixth. And then the only mid-rangey looking stuff was a seventh place Vampires list with four Soren Imperious Bloodlord. And a red aggro list that ran four Chandra Torch of Defiance, four Cemetery Gatekeeper, and four Den of the Bugbear. I see a Zergo Bell Striker in there too. Now there's a there's a callback. Yeah, it's a standard card we haven't seen in a while. Yeah, I haven't seen Zergo in a long time. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I don't really remember much about Pioneer if I'm being honest. Uh, but it certainly is does have cards in it, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> in, interesting deck list here. Uh, they all feel familiar, even though I don't quite remember what we were doing before. It's a format I would like to play. I think there's room to get into it, but uh, it's a shame there's just no support for it right now. Well, very... I'm not sure the format is ripe with interaction. I'd have to look at a few more weeks of this to get a, a solid feel for it, so maybe we will in the near future. But at present, it looks like there's some fairly busted things going on. Yeah. Yeah, I don't doubt that. I don't doubt that. There's another uh, thing that I would love to see revived to fix pick up a lot of my 
specs that didn't go anywhere. <laughs> I'm sure there are others in that boat. Fortunately, despite uh, accusations to the contrary, I wasn't very deep on Pioneer specs. So it hasn't really been an issue. Uh, top paper movers. We got Layla the Blade Reforged, uh, extended art version, Commander 2021. So those would have come out of Strixhaven collector booster packs. I'm um, going from 10 to 12, only a 20% jump, but I flagged it here because I saw Pro Traders talking about it and it had been showing up in Vintage Cube over the holidays and people were talking about realizing that it had is a better card than they had given it credit for. Um, so some, probably something that ends up maybe 20 bucks within a year is certainly possible. The Demir Signets out of Secret Lair uh, was a call of mine a while back. I think I called foils but maybe i called non-foils on the basis that foils might be looked down upon let me just double check that yeah because this was the one that you either got the basic one the non-foil or the etched foil they're the only pack foils were those misprints yeah i called these non-foils to go 7 to 15 and here we have them at 15 so uh mission accomplished uh, my guess is people will actually be able to get out of these at $20 plus um, in the not-too-distant future. Nickel Bolas, Dragon God, Out of War, The Spark, Foils, just pack foils going from 15 to 22, 47% gains there. Um, that's just a good Planeswalker to throw in your commander deck um, if you're in the right colors. So not tremendously surprising to see the pack foils go up over time, especially since the Japanese alt art versions are super high. And I think the secret layer uh, stained glass is probably a respectable price as well. Let me just find that. You can get, They're actually down pretty low. You can get these as low as $10 right now. Uh, and then it ramps pretty quickly to 15. This might end up a pick of mine next week. These are, uh, first of all, these stained glass ones look very nice. Um, and I would imagine they'll end up being 30 to $40 in the, within the year. Uh, so maybe a little preview of next week. Inkai, Servant of Oni, out of Secret Layers, foils from 30 to almost 50. 60% uh, gains there on the back of Ninja Neo Hype. And I did sell one of those this weekend at, I think, 35 or so um, as that was going on. So I've reposted in the 40s and... Uh, Pretty confident those will move. Uh, also makes that that the secret layer that those came out of uh, kind of a no-brainer since they basically cover the the whole purchase at this point. Yeah, yeah. The uh, a lot a lot of ninja stuff here. We have brothers Yamakazi as well um, from Champions Yama, of Yamazaki. Yamazaki, thank you. I missed that. The foil um, from eleven to nineteen. Also part of the samurai hype here, um, as or re really just Kamigawa at large, I yeah, would say. People going over, going after old original champions block foils, trying to lock them down, hoping they're going to have a market. Uh, and you know, I I have to say that I I can't even really say that it's a terrible idea for the sole reason that those cards virtually don't exist compared to um, anything in the modern era. Yeah, so uh, exactly. So, like, you're not going to need very many people to agree to this. We got Mist Syndicate Naga, uh, a Naga Ninja card out of Modern Horizons 1, foils going from 5 to 11. And indeed, there are only. This gaming company has nine foils at 11 bucks left on TCG Player, and then a pro trader has five copies at 11, and then somebody with zero zero sales has another copy and that's it so you can assume that these will probably get bought up uh, as ninja decks get built it's got a ninjutsu on it and when it deals combat damage to a player you get a, to create a token that's a copy of it so you get more of them as the game progresses that's the kind of thing that isn't you're not going to see in competitive formats but you will certainly see in ninja decks and edh yeah yeah, if you get your guys unblockable and it doubles and doubles and doubles and then you got a whole bunch of them also a, likely a nice bonus for anybody that cracked mh1 i must have one or two english copies of this and may, maybe a russian copy sitting around so i should dig those out and try to get them posted uh likewise the wanderer stained glass version out of the secret layers uh one of the stained glass uh walkers that wasn't in a ton of the secret layers along the way because they were they weren't always just one of any stained glass sometimes they like for the um the women's day one you could only get female walkers and 
sometimes you could only get a green one or a blue one or whatever. Uh, long story short, Wanderer is probably one of the three Planeswalkers in Neo, and there's Neo Hype aplenty right now, so these have gone from 12 to $28, and they are well drained out on TCG Player. And then Curiosity Crafter extended art out of Commander 21, which is also out of the Strixhaven CBs, showed up on here last week, jumping up uh, to about $6. Now we've got it 6 to 18 as the rest of that price curve continued, and in theory, it uh, is now up over 200%. Yeah, that's a big... It's a nice, uh, nice continuation there. Over on Magic Online, uh, we've got Thieving Skydiver going from 0.16 to 0.42, 162% gains. That's just on Commander Play. Um, and also could have been because people were playing Vintage Cube and Thieving Skydiver was included. And it was doing a lot of work and people were talking about, oh, wow, I stole somebody's Mana Vault or or mocks or whatever with my thieving skydiver that worked out really well and people may have gone looking for it to uh pad out some commander decks uh i still hold the opinion that the foil extended arts for that card are eventually going to get there when people wake up (laughs) at what a solid value card it is Uh, i'll just check in on that now i suspect that these are still stalled out under 10 I suppose that stealing somebody's Monocrypt or Soul Ring in Vintage Cube with uh, whatever, Turn 2, Thieving Skydiver, whatever, has got to be about the pinnacle of enjoyment that you'll get out of that card. And I can definitely see someone doing that and going, oh my god, I have to put this in my EDH deck right after having accomplished that. Uh, 50 listings left. You can still get these for under $5. No major walls until you get to... Alexis, uh, former Wizards of the Coast designer and resident uh, mod in our Discord, has hers posted at 30, so that's probably your target exit down the road. You know, I have to say it really sounds like Alexis has adopted my (laughs) sales technique here. I suspect that that price drops when she, she may have a different target price in mind, and those are just her, these will definitely not sell at this price, but I want to be getting the correct notifications. Um, I mean, I, I, uh, I, I guess we have to ask her. I don't know what notifications she'd be getting. Like, I'm sure she's flagging, she's flagging TCG market compared to her inventory. And if it takes big jumps, then she gets into the ring. Yeah, I suppose just leave them, leave them listed for sale and then have some custom script that notifies you if your inventory, if, if, if TCG player changes enough and then you go back and just revise your price downwards and in the meantime, you've just left them there just in case. We are talking about an ex-Google programmer, so uh, there's oh. plenty of scripts in play. Uh, Doomscar out of Kaldheim from 0.12 tickets to 0.36, 200% gains there on heavy standard play. And then Consider, just a, a common out of uh, Midnight Hunt, if I'm not mistaken. It is a common, right? Not an uncommon. It must be a common. Pretty sure I've drafted it a bunch. Yeah, it's a common. Uh, going from 0.02 to 0.17. So a mere 750% gains if you happen to have a bunch of those in your portfolio. Also the kind of thing where if you've been drafting that set a ton, you probably have a bunch of those sitting around in your Magic Online account that you could probably unload for like 10 cents a piece now, right? Or whatever. Man, look at that. Moto is paying out. Someone just had 70 cents appear in their account as if by magic. That <laughs> they didn't have before. Yep, yep. All right, so let's take a look at our cards to watch. I do indeed uh, have some this week, unlike last week. Uh, how about the Gamble non-foils out of the Secret Layer Drop series? Super cool art. No fresh inventory entering the market. We're down to 25 listings. There's a small pocket of copies in the 20 to $22 range, and then it starts to go up the curve pretty quickly to 30 I'd imagine this is going to be 20, just over 20 to 40 for something like 70 to 90% gains within the year. Uh, could be within the next six months, could even be the next three months. This is a 45,000 reported usage on EDH Rec. 11% of all red decks run the card. It's easily the coolest version. There are no masterpiece or, or borderless versions of this card. And it's probably safe from secret layers for a bit because it was just in one a lot too long ago. <laughs> Supposedly. Uh, you, you would think... It's, we would have said the same thing about Goblin Engineer too, right? <laughs> um, yeah, this card is the Gamble is a huge EDH card. People love it. Entire really love the card. It's it's been a, a good pick a couple times here over the years. 
uh, you, you know, you're, you are banking on this becoming the most expensive version uh, by way of it being the coolest one. I'm kind of poking around the prices here. Urza Sagas are 20 and change. EMAs are in the 15, 20, looks like 23, 25 for foils. UMAs, I think, are roughly all right around 20. The Judge gift cards are around 25. So, uh, the, you know, the prices are sitting sitting right around 20 to 25, it looks like, for most of the copies here. But this gamble, like you said, is just so much better than the other cards. Like, I mean, it's not that they're terrible. They're just not that interesting. And then you look at the secret layer, and it's it's phenomenal. So this is this will be a very good test of can the can really good art do it? Because you've got a really popular card. Tons of people play this card. Uh, you have players have a couple printings to choose from, but they're all boring. So players can have a cheap copy or they can buy this copy that's dramatically different. And it will be interesting to see if uh, really interesting, fun artwork can can raise the card above all other prices. And I, I, I'm inclined to agree with you. I think it will, because you don't need that many people to be in on it, right? Like if one in 10 people buying Gamble are willing to pay the premium for this version over the other ones, that'll do it for you. Because as you said, the inventory is already um, getting low. So I, I, I'm there for it. And I think that this will be a good litmus test to return to uh, six, three, six, nine months later, and see kind of how it's doing. Probably worth flagging that there is a judge foil from uh, I think 2020, if I'm not mistaken. But let me just check that. Uh, yeah, it looks like it was 2020. Yeah, and also the secret layer looks like it's from the 20, from 2020 as well. So it's a it's a little on the older side. All, every all of those copies have already landed, basically. Let's see, gamble was. Yeah, it was from from 2020, and that hasn't really gotten there. I'm pretty sure it was a cast pick at some point, and it's pretty stalled out. Those are still available around $25, although they do sell, and there's a, we're down to 15 listings. So this could turn the corner and go 25 to 40 or 50 this year as well, just from people that want judge promos, collect judge promos, etc., or just happen to like the art on the judge promo. Um, but... If I'm picking one today to focus on, I think that secret layer version is going to be hard to go wrong with. Yeah, it's definitely the coolest one. There's not really any question about that. Especially for the people that want, are excited when the coolest version happens to be non-foil because they prefer to run non-foil decks. This is just a win-win for them for sure. All right, so what's your uh, first selection this week? Uh, I'm going to get us start. I have two uh, two odd cards, I think, this week. This first one is especially a departure for me, but I do like it. Bastion of Remembrance. And you're going, uh, that card sounds familiar because something like 10 people, one in 10 people who play uh, a black deck in EDH have used it. This is a three-mon enchantment from Ikoria. Uh, when it enters a battlefield, you create a 1-1 one, one token. And then it has um, Blood Artist. Whenever a creature you control, well, not Blood Artist, but very close. Whenever a creature you control dies, each opponent loses a life and you gain a life. Um, but so it, it's in the Blood Artist Zulapart Cutthroat family, which are very popular cards. It has the benefit of being an enchantment, which is way harder to kill than a creature, which is uh, appreciated in EDH. This card is in 30,000 decks, which is 8% of all decks that have been built since Bastion of Remembrance was printed. Now, I am recommending, by the way, the un, this is an uncommon, and I am recommending the non-foil pack copies. So the most plentiful uncommon version of this you can get. Uh, there are no other printings. The only printing is Ikoria. Uh, and there's a very large inventory, like there's a lot of copies on TCG Player. I didn't count them all. I bet it's, I think it's over 200 or something like that easily. There's 109 vendors and I see a 28, an 11, 12, 73, 48. So there's probably 250 to 300 copies, I think roughly on TCG Player right now. So there's, there's an inventory. I'm not going to debate that whatsoever. Also, it sold 15 non-foil copies today alone, just today. 15 copies of Bastion of Remembrance sold on TCG Player. 
uh, and there's a and that's non foils and there's heavy sell through uh, several days in a row, um, and I'm sure other vendors see good sales as well, which you can see for instance over at Card Kingdom, who pays two dollars or two sixty seven credit for copies of Sebastian Remembrance. And you can currently buy it for about two and a quarter on TCG Player. So $3, um, I see I see a couple copies at 220, and there's 28 of them at 230, and then you're paying about three bucks a copy. But even if you're paying $3 a copy, you are almost covered on CK credit already. This card is very popular in EDH. It will continue to be really popular in EDH. And our pick review or, or i should say our our year in review showed that cards in the lower dollar ranges um kind of like three to ten tended to be, have some of the best return rates so this is appealing because you can get a fair chunk of copies uh at three you know three dollars or less you can sit on them for six months to maybe a year a year and a half and then hope to either selling them individually would probably be pretty miserable, but you'll probably be able to buy this them at maybe five or six bucks in store credit. And getting, you know, if you ended up with 30 copies of this and you flipped them from $3 to six, let's say, uh, you know, you're doubling your profit on, on 30 copies. I'm pretty, you know, I'd be pretty happy with that. So I think, I think that the appeal here is just that You've got a lower price point, which makes it easy to move in price. It's the cheapest copy. It's going to, you know, everyone who's going to put this card in their deck, no matter how casual, this is kind of what they're going for. There's no amazing version that's going to pull people away from it. Um, and you're likely, you know, it's from Ikoria, which was like about just under two years old. feels like you're probably good for it in at least another year or two on a reprint. And it could easily be six years without a reprint i don't know but i i like these bastion remembrance at three dollars or so three dollars and under non-foil basic pack copies here's the thing the reprint is going to be in a commander deck and it's going to be a non-foil copy and then this is going to be tanked forever and ever and ever that's that's absolutely the concern i don't doubt that whatsoever the question is does it come next year or does it come in four years i i'm inclined to think you can probably you probably have time here but I, I, I appreciate the concern for sure. I'm not going to debate it. But why not just go for the foils? We're down to 37 listings. There's cheapest copies, four bucks. And it's probably going to end up being a 10 to $14 foil given another year or two. And the foils, I don't, I, I can't, I don't think this is a priority reprint in any way. I don't think it's the kind of thing they'll put in a secret layer. Don't think it is. I think it, it references vaguely some things that make it unlikely to show back up in a standard set could be the kind of thing they would throw into a double masters two or three or a commander legends two or something. If there was a theme that made it worth it. Um, so it's not immune to a foil reprint, but it just seems significantly easier. Um, I, the foils are certainly are fine. I'm not, I'm not saying they're not, I, I'm I'm drawn to the non-foils because those have historically performed pretty well for us, despite the fact that we like to pick foils more. The non-foils do tend to do really well, especially on the lower stuff, the lower end stuff, where they just move a tremendous amount of inventory over over time. Like I said, there's 15 copies of this that sold today. Uh, foils look like they sell one ish a day, uh, which isn't bad, right? Not that's that's solid. It's better than one a week type of thing. And I mean, that price point is certainly appealing too, because you're barely paying more for it. Uh, I, I, I'm not going to, I think that foils are totally, a totally fine way to go. I'm inclined to go with the non-foils just because I can buy a larger inventory and then just buy list them easily. But I certainly wouldn't fault somebody for wanting to go the foil route. So if a listener is on the ball and wants to go Travis's route with non-foils, I would refer them very quickly to the Harayuya sale this week, where you, they have 19 copies left in stock at 180 yen, which is going to be pretty close to a buck fifty US, which puts you in the money on via card king and buy list right off the bat. Only catch there is Harayuya is currently not shipping to Canada, I don't believe, and is only doing EMS to the States, so you're going to have to have a larger order to fit these into to make it worthwhile. Are those English or Japanese? English. Ooh, that is uh, that's good stuff right there. Yep. 
So, I mean, you got an auto win here if you can pull that particular lever. Uh, all right, so moving on to my next selection of the week. We've got Carpet of Flowers, another secret layer edition. This one is the foil uh, from uh, Secret Layer, currently available at 35 or so. There's a few copies out there cheaper, but by the time you look at this, that's probably what you're looking at. And if we look at market on these, they've been on the move. You could have got these earlier this year as cheap as... Uh, 30 or so it looks like at a couple of different intervals and they got up to 40 at one point and then they dropped back down um, but we're down to 14 listings under 35 I suspect very strongly that these are going to go 35 to 60 this is a another like 30,000 plus EDH rec pick there's 35,000 decks running the card and that's in a situation where it has never been reprinted in a standard set or even a high distribution set. You've got it from Urza's Saga back in the day, so there are no original foils. Even if there were, they'd be very pricey. Um, the card had never had a foil printing because the other printing before this was uh, Mystery Boosters, I believe, and that was a non-foil. Uh, yep, Mystery Booster. And so there only is the one foil printing, and that's from the Secret Lair. To me, that means these are going to be 60 to $80 plus cards given enough time and the drain is very real right now uh, so this one looks like very likely to succeed yeah i mean the being the only foil carpet of flowers is exactly where you want to be remarkably popular card not only in edh but it sees a, has seen a fair bit of legacy play over the years as well it shows up in cubes um it's a casual card as well which you know you're not going to hit on too often but it's better than nothing uh, I think this is a, a solid choice here. Secret layer cards have, have done well over and over again. And this was part of the, like, was this the Johan Vass art it one? Was, yep. Which I can't imagine drew many people to it. Like you were only buying the Johan Vass secret layer if you were in for the card value rather than the um, art. I don't think of Johan Vess as having Voss, probably. people, who, but yes. What, what'd you say? Voss, I think V O S S. Voss, yeah. I don't. I don't think of him as as have, commanding a tremendous following. So my point being is that, like, if they ran for you know a Rebecca Gway secret layer, they would definitely sell copies based on people wanting to own Rebecca Gway cards because she's a popular artist. Johan Voss is just like, eh, you were only going to buy this if the value was there. So probably a lot fewer people were buying sets which sets this up to be in a good position because it means it probably sold a lot fewer copies than it might have otherwise. Yes, and the rest of this this purchase was Sanctum Prelate Sphere of Safety and Karmic Guide. So I remember not being like super... I think my analysis on this was like, it's all about what happens with the Carpet of Flowers. But I think the Carpet of Flowers already being at 35 and foil means it's going to get there. Um, there are regular copies as well. Let me just see how they're doing by comparison. Uh, we look at the regulars. We're looking at... I feel like we would have liked... Um... 28 listings. Um, there have been a lot of situations where people talked about how foil and non-foil were pretty much the same price for secret layers, so you may as well buy the non-foils, but that is not true all the time. And in this particular case, that's the scenario with Carpet of Flowers not having another foil has driven the foil higher. Yeah, and that's probably, um, you know, I know we've talked about it before, but probably worth keeping in mind that when we're talking about foil versus non-foil secret layers, the ones that host that have a card that has never appeared in foil before should get a much heavier weighting towards the foil choice than not. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I th I, th I, th I like the sink. The Carpet of Flowers is very popular, and you're getting the only foil and probably not going to see another foil again for a while. Uh. Just to double back on Bastion of Remembrance, because I, I commented on version, but not card. Uh, I play this card every day. I have a grinder deck for uh, Ranked Historic on Arena that is all about uh, cat oven combo and a variety of cards that want to just bounce in and out of the yard for value. And I use Bastion. Sometimes what will happen is they get rid of a cat during one of the cycles and they strand you without a food token to sack to get it, get the combo going again. But if you play a bastion, not only do you get to drain for one every time you do the cat combo, but you can sack the token that it makes to get the cat back into play and kick things off again. 
Mm. And I run it alongside the the two mana vampire that has the same drain effect, and then you just drain him out of the game for ten one turn. Oh, that uh, that works. Card does work. Huh. Card does work. All right. So your final selection of the week. Uh, I'm going to finish up with Savine's Reclamation, which is the white uh, sorcery from Commander 2019. Um, it's a three mana return a permanent card with three mana or less from your graveyard. Uh, and then it has flashback. And if you cast it with flashback, you can copy it. So the first time you cast it, it returns one card. And when you flash it back, it returns two. And Sun Titan is extraordinarily popular in EDH. And this is basically a sorcery version of Sun Titan. Um, I, there it's in 20,000 EDH rec decks, which is 5%. So in the last two years, one in every, uh, uh, wait, why am I having trouble with this? One in every 20 commander decks, white commander decks is put in Savine's Reclamation. Um, there are 38 vendors, so relatively low number of vendors. There are about, there is about a 70 card wall. Um, the gaming company and somebody else have a good chunk of copies that they're sitting on kind of holding, uh, the price on the lower end. Um, I think they've got theirs at six or so. You will, if you check the price graph, you'll see that it's it's risen recently. So it dipped a little, it dipped a little while ago, and has started to pull back up, um, which is heartening. And it looks like it sells about five copies a day, which is you know if you're talking about say a hundred ish copies on TCG Player, selling five a day is quite is pretty decent, I think, in terms of uh, liquidity to total inventory. You also have the bonus that you're buying these at about, uh, I'm going to say about five. You can get these at 455. Um, maybe you'll probably pay six if you're not one of the first people there. But CK is currently offering 450 in credit. So they've got you 75% covered right now. You've got a card that's just so Savine's Reclamation, you're paying about six bucks. Decently popular. Um, the price is moving upwards. The inventory seems to be draining. Good sell through, and at a two and roughly a two-year-old card, I think um, we're right at that age where you're going to start to see the t- scales tip. It has already shown like some pretty strong growth in recent in recent uh, months. It got down as low as three bucks around early November, and has basically doubled since. So the real fantastic entry point on this was about six weeks ago that said uh, yeah <laughs> that said there there may well be some growth here this is the kind of thing i'm probably going to steer clear of because we're not close enough yet to the final draining period for me to be excited and there are some pretty big walls in play here wasteland gaming has 17 copies at six bucks gaming company has uh 55 copies at six bucks and for cards that get purchased one at a time that are probably you know our mid-tier edh cards that a lot of people will have forgotten about or don't realize exist. You're really hoping that it's going to feature prominently on an episode of Game Nights or something to move the needle? Yeah, I mean, I'll be the first to admit that this is a bit of a departure from the cards we normally pick. You know, I get excited when I see stuff that has 12 copies on TCG Player um, because that just feels like you really can't make a mistake. I'm trying to remember that just because, trying to remind myself, that just because there's a decent inventory on TCG, it doesn't mean the price won't move, that you could see the price double. And it doesn't even have to, it's not like if they clear out the inventory, people can change their price as, uh, as copy sell. Um, so I'm, I'm going a slightly different route here that just because there's a decent inventory, it doesn't mean you can't see some decent price movement. Alrighty. Uh, moving on over to our weekly topic, we've got a new secret layer offering that was tabled today by Wizards. Um, gotta say, it's looking like one of the weakest they've ever put out there, but there could be some unknown elements here, so let's uh, dig a little deeper. They're calling these the Astrology Lands, and of course they are going to do one for every Astro sign this year, so we'll get 12 throughout the year. And I think the thing that's got most of the MTG Finance and Vendor Crowd Uh, folk turned off the most is that there's apparently no limit time limit on these they're going to be selling them in cohorts which basically means that they have they're planning on printing five or maybe ten thousand copies of of each of these and then 
if you pre-order and that sells out, you, they may put you on a waiting list until you tip the scales to some at some specific level. So let's say that there are 5,000 unit cohort, they might uh, not print again until they get a minimum of three, four, or maybe it's just 5,000 to get the next uh, group out the door. They're going to make them available for the entire calendar year of 2022, which is pretty, which makes whatever comes at the end of the year much more interesting than the start, because by that point we would know whether they're putting any secret bonuses in and how sexy those are. And we'll get a better sense of some of the rest of the art because this art in particular for Capricorn, the first offering is extremely underwhelming. Um, it's one of those cases where the secret layer art doesn't feel like it had strong enough art direction because the theming here of a dead goat <laughs> appearing in the, the picture is much too subtle for my taste you table this in front of somebody, it does not scream astrology at all. And you're going to have to go, hey, these are my Capricorn lands. <clears throat> People will be like, oh, cool. You'd be like, because I'm a Capricorn. Hmm. Okay. Like, <laughs> so If somebody is buying basics to signal their astrology sign, they don't have to tell you what, tell you when they play the land what astrology sign they are because they have already told you previously. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But here, here's the thing. If you go back to the, uh, the the crushing brutality of basic lands drop, which, by the way, has worked out very well. That was one of the ones I told people to, to go in on. And if we look at Swamp, uh, I got to look it up. Give me a second. Because uh, it's not easy to find that on TCG Player. But... Those have done very, very well. And the thing about those is they had a very cool metal style. And I think if you did horoscope stuff with that style, it would probably be much more popular than what I'm seeing here. Now, it's entirely possible it's going to be different artists, different style every month. That could easily be the case. And so it could be next month is gorgeous. Some of them probably will be highly desirable. Um, the Swamp from Crushing Brutality is up to... $25 non-foil market price and $32 foil. And you had a That's... and you had a shot at those foils uh at 16. So they've already doubled up even if you just bought singles and if you bought the bundles you did very well indeed. That's so ridiculous. Uh art's fantastic. I mean that that's the sleeve art I use on Arena as well. Um cuz it's badass in a black white deck. Um so Bottom line, I'm not getting that anything sexy out of these Capricorn lands. And so the play then becomes, does everybody hate them? Because if if it if everybody hates them, it might end up being like the cat secret layer that ended up being really good because there'll be minimal inventory on TCG and anybody who does decide, hey, my my significant other is a Capricorn, maybe they'll be, they'll be into this and goes ahead and buys 20 copies might drain these out over some reasonable period of time. And one of my concerns about secret layers in 2022 is that more and more vendors will be getting in on them and ordering bigger and bigger orders that it, because they've worked out before and they want to leverage that margin they've seen and that it's actually going to be harder and harder to sell secret layers in the short term and that the trend will probably down the road reverse course as vendors realize that the exits aren't as easy as they were hoping. But whatever sells the least runs the smallest chance of being involved in all that. So maybe these get there. But what I told the pro traders when we were looking at this, or this earlier today is I think you just go ahead and skip for now because we don't know what the bonus is. If the bonus ends up being some good card and it's tied to, um, you know, the theme of each astrology sign in some way, then things could get more interesting. But for now, I don't see anything compelling here, given that they're going to offer them all year long. Well, so that that raises an interesting approach here. They are they are offering them all year long, right? So theoretically, we can have them release. You know, this first Capricorn one comes out when I don't remember when we said it. It's releasing, um, but you know, you have basically a year, nine months to see how well that sells, and if the price on that is creeping up. You can be like, oh, apparently this is popular. I'm going to go in and buy 15 of these towards back, you know, out in October when it's clear that there is a demand for these. 
which it just adds this very weird game of chicken but to the whole thing well yeah and because the order in october may never actualize if you're one of only a few people on a waiting list that they never choose to activate um, Except you probably assume that other people are going to see that it did that. So they're going to buy it in October too because the price on the card is going up. So there'll be a last minute push to sell for people to go get their copies. But then that'll stymie the price because you just have this huge glut of copies that show up like right after. I, it's just the whole thing is um, it was a little messy. I think in terms of trying to figure out how and when to buy other than just choosing to stay away entirely because you think they're ugly, which is valid, very valid. Well, and if we go with the, you know, further on from our analysis of our annual review last week, where it was very clear that if you cut out the bottom third of stuff we talk about, you'd be doing very well indeed. Um, You know, if we're looking at bottom third of secret layers, I have trouble believing this isn't this isn't right near the bottom. Yeah, I mean, I'm inclined to agree with you for sure. Um, it they do strike me as a type of thing that like could very easily be at a low price for years, and then you get three or four years past the secret layer, and the prices are really starting to climb because it just needed to slowly drain because there weren't that many to begin with. And then you get to the point where they're $15 a piece. I don't know if that's what's going to happen, but I could see it being that type of card. I could also see it being the type of card that's never born $3. So there's also, I, I don't think you should buy them at least not right away. Yeah. There's also a funny angle here. If you, you are some weird Venn diagram intersection of both an astrology expert believer and an MTG finance person, which I'm finding hard to believe there's a, there's much of an overlap. But if you're that person, you might be going, you know what the play here is. Wait for the months where the people are the most vain and they're most likely to bling out their decks because I know all those whatevers are going. Well, of course, the, Cap- of course the Capricorns aren't going to buy their lands yeah. because they're yeah. Capricorns. But the Virgos, man, yeah. those suckers are going to be lining right up. So it's going to be real funny if, you know, a couple of these end up just being truly stunning lands with really amazing art by say a known artist and then that shifts things into high gear but then you're going to have the same problem that it, if, if the art is very popular it's going to get ordered in multiple cohorts there'll be more of that one around and that in theory should counterbalance um the supply side play so again i'm just going to steer clear the way they've got this set up they've got they're only selling five at a time i really think this could have been a good opportunity for them to turn the corner on that and stop being so greedy um, as much as we uh, rationalize uh, economic models on this cast, it still is pretty ridiculous to sell five of any magic card without some extra fanciness about it for $30, especially a basic land. And I think this would have been an opportunity where they could have offered 10 and at least then the narrative could have been, hey, they doubled how many basics you get in the basic bundles. And that, that might have dr- driven some sales. And it costs them so much less <laughs> in terms of marginal uh, expense to go from five to 10 that if I was running the project, that's probably what I would have done. Instead, so, instead you get five non-basics for 30, five foils for 40. If you get the bundles of either, you basically get one drop for free because on the foil bundle, instead of it costing 200 for five, for five it's 160. So you basically get... Uh, 20% off. None of that's compelling to me. And I think it's just skip, skip, skip for now. Yeah. Again, especially because they're running these all year long. So like you can even kind of hang out and wait and see if better ones show up or that. I don't know. There's just the fact that they're available all year long means there is just extremely low impetus to buy right now. You might as well wait because the worst case scenario is it, Somehow it turns out that they're very popular and you want to go back and buy them, but there isn't enough orders to place a second cohort, but that wouldn't happen. You you would have enough orders for the second cohort if the value goes up, if the value is there. So like, just, just, just wait. Um, and yeah, some of them might be good. I'm not holding my breath, but it's possible, I suppose. All right, I don't have a whole lot else to say about that, and we don't have uh, really strong reveals to discuss for Kamigawa other than some spoiled stuff that wasn't any big deal. 
So uh, I think we're probably good for now. We we have the return of channel. That's uh that's notable, I suppose. You can definitely see some very good magic, some counter spells return. Uh, channel is a mechanic designed for that. We also know that you know we're getting Bushido and and ninjas and rats and whatever. So we're in, in spirits. We've seen the dragons are coming back, and uh, we'll start to get more information about that in the coming weeks. Yep. All right. So where can people find you online, Travis? I am on Twitter at wizardbumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. You guys can find me on Twitter at MTG Critic, as well as via my occasional articles on mtgprice.com. I'm on uh, constantly haunting the ProTrader Discord, and I would also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com ProTrader service. We're just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year, and I should probably mention there is a lower tier um, also at $7.99 if you don't want to be involved in our group buys, which is $79.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Once again, MTG Fast Finance is probably sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool stuff in stock, including the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com and save 5% off your order and support our podcast. Uh, that was the closest we've come to living up to our name here in uh, about five and a half years uh, at a at a unbelievably fast hour and 10 minutes or so oh wow <laughs> uh, killing it today yeah breaking the sound barrier uh but i will see you next week uh for whatever comes then thank you travis we'll see you all next week on another episode of mpg fast Lights. <laughs>